Kucherov's in alone, and he scores! Edmund on the ice, it's Stamkos, he got in, Steven Stamkos to the net, scores! You know, great players sometimes just have that innate ability to write their own script. Look at him slide by Lindell there. He's got his head up the whole way. I talked about muscle memory, and you know exactly what to expect. Jim, his last 15 games of the season, he had a 15-game scoring streak, scoring 12 in that time. There's a shot by Hedman, he scores! First goal of the Stanley Cup final. Victor Hedman makes this a 3-1 Tampa lead. Most of the guys have already gone to the dressing room here. Game number three is over. Victor Hedman with a big night. He had three points, a goal of two assists. Hey, welcome to Tape to Tape, powered by Ram. Back-to-back winner of Motor Trans Truck of the Year. I'm Ryan Dixon. I'm a writer for Sportsnet.ca. Joining me on this awesome Stanley Cup final podcast, we have Sportsnet NHL editor Rory Boylan and also Sportsnet NHL writer Luke Fox. Gentlemen, how are you doing? Great. Hey, you know what, Ryan? So far, this final has gone according to our predictions, right? If it wraps up on Saturday. That's right. We both predict five game wins for the Tampa Bay Lightning. How are, how are your predictions holding up, Luke? Well, I, I picked the Dallas Stars to win the cup way back in uh, last September. Ooh. So uh, the, the fact that I even have uh, my team in the final feels good. <laughs> Although the way the last couple games have gone, I'm not too confident. T- All Tampa, right. lo- Tampa looks pretty dominant. Well, let's jump in right there then. I mean, Dallas did shoot itself in the foot right off the hop in game three. We're recording this Thursday morning as the, the Lightning have taken a 2-1 lead. And we'll, of course, get to Steven Samkos and his amazing Stanley Cup final uh, shooting percentage here. But... The Stars, they built their bones on defensive hockey. And, you know, when Mario Haskinen's giving the puck away and Kucherov's going in and staking Tampa to a one nothing lead early, you know it might be a long night. The offense has been the struggle all year, and at times it's looked like they've solved that, but now they're back to really looking for goals. Luke, through three games, what do you think um, Dallas can do to, to get this thing back on the rails, if that's a possibility at all? Oh, it's a possibility. You don't want to rule them out. They're, I mean, they're only down 2-1. But the big line needs to get going. Uh, you know, you look at the the scoring from Dallas, and it's being led all postseason by the defensemen, by Haskinen and, and John Klingberg. And the big guys who are getting the big bucks, that top line needs to get going because Tampa's top line is, has been fantastic. Tampa's stars are, are putting up numbers on the board and I, I think that falls on Radulov and Ben and, and Tyler Sagan in particular um, now I know there's he's probably nursing something there's speculation that it's a hand or wrist or or something like that because he's taking less face-offs but the guy only has two playoff goals um, and and they need more from him and, and if it's not him then they have to do it by committee I think scoring first is is really important to the Dallas Stars success because once they start chasing the game, uh, Tampa seems to to feast on on more open play. Um, so I think if Dallas can score first, they can lock it down and and hopefully win like a, a kind of a greasy two one or three two game. 
we have seen stretches in these playoffs where Dallas's offense was going where, and that top line was part of it against mm-hmm. Calgary. They scored a bunch. They kept pace with Colorado. I think they wrote scored by one in the series, but came away with the win. How much Luke do you think that was them actually finding some scoring and being able to play that way versus, you know, the situation like against Calgary, they were up against Cam Talbot against Colorado they were facing third or second, third string goalie. You know, they were getting pretty thin there. And now against Tampa, tough defense. Andre Vasilevsky is an elite goalie. Is is this really who Dallas is? Or do you think do you think what we saw from their offense against Colorado and Calgary is something they can get back in this final series? Not I wouldn't think to that extent. Just because, like you said, Vasilevsky is you know, one of the best goalies in the whole world. Uh, kind of it's a routine almost that he's up for the, the Vesna. And I think his story is almost in a strange way, kind of flown under the radar because Hedman's been so good and, and him getting his 10th goal, something only Brian Leach and Paul Coffey have done in the history of the game has, has taken the headlines. Kucherov and Point have been so good and, and the Stamco story. Um, Vasilevsky's dominance is, has kind of flown under the radar. Tampa's the only team that made it, you know, deep in the playoffs without having to go to a second goalie. Like Curtis McElhaney hasn't even had to take the crease. Um, so I think that's, that's part of it. And I think it's also Tampa throughout this postseason is used to playing a more defensive game than, than they had in, in previous years. You know, they've gone through what John Cooper said uh, were the defensive juggernauts of the league. Now they're kind of comfortable in, in locking things down a little bit and grinding out lots of overtime wins. You know, you go through Columbus and, and Boston, teams like that, it, and the Islanders, it kind of prepares you for Dallas um, because, you know, Dallas is, is a little bit like the – the Islanders of, of the West in terms of rolling all four lines, doesn't want to get in, in a track meet. So Tampa has kind of, their path to get here has prepared them, I think, very well for the Stars. All right, I got to pick up on a few Tampa things, but we have to start with Stamkos. I mean, obviously it's not a complete Hollywood ending given uh, he only played two more shifts after scoring the goal. And I mean, I think there's a pretty strong sense, especially with, back-to-back games coming in. I don't know how Tampa can put him back in the lineup without knowing for sure that he could play the whole game and that spot is just too precious. Setting all that aside, what's going through your mind just from a writing storyline perspective when you see this guy streak down the right side and bury one past Hudobin? Yeah, it's it's kind of out of Hollywood, right? Like, I, I imagine, you know, 50 years from now when people talk about this final, he, it, he won't have scored... Uh, early in in game three, it will have been the the triple overtime winner in game seven or something. Yeah. Like this it, this, uh, <laughs> this kind of has like one of those legends written all over it. The guy's out what two hundred and ten days since he last played a game, and the shot was something. But also the how he avoided, I think it was Esselindel, um, how he dodged yeah. that check along the boards. Uh, he could have got crunched and and just kind of skirted that steps in. It makes no mistake. And the fact that, you know, uh, I, I think he, the puck was only on his stick for a grand total of seven seconds the, the whole game. He only played like 247 and, and to make an impact. I, I think it's 
it's just a great story. And, you know, if they do get these two last wins, the cup is going into his hands first, right, as the captain. And, and he will have felt, hey, I wasn't just hanging around the bubble and be, being there for moral support. I actually have my name on the box score. I actually made an impact yeah. in a cup final. Okay, so if the cup is going to Stamkos's hands, then where's the Con Smythe going? Is it still Hedman? Have Point and Kucherov really entered this race? What do you think? I would think Hedman. I, I, I would think Hedman. But I think you could build a case for Point. You could build a case for Kucherov. You could build a case for, for Vasilevsky. But I just think what Hedman has done in terms of the ice time he's logged, the way he kind of controls the game, you know, all situations, defends in addition to the 10 goals, I, I, th- I think it's probably Hedman's. Uh, yeah, I, it, it kind of reminds me of, you know, with the last time Tampa was in the final in 15 and they lost to Chicago. Um, you know, you can make a case for a lot of the forwards on that dynamic Blackhawks team, but Duncan Keith was kind of just having this otherworldly performance. And, and I think Hedman kind of falls into that category. So Luke, if, if Tampa Bay goes on and wins the Stanley cup here, you know, every, every year, whoever wins the Stanley cup, there's always some kind of thing you want to draw. Like what can other teams learn about this year's champion that they maybe will copycat? Um, what is it for the lightning? Yeah. You know, last week on the show, we talked about, you know, maybe it's just staying the course with your core of stars that you buy that, that you think eventually are going to break through. If you just can nibble around the edges and, and support them in the ways you can, but you know, is it that, is it something stylistic? What, what is going to be the takeaway that other teams are going to have if Tampa Bay wins this year? For me, it's it's the depth and the willingness to invest in the right depth pieces. You know, it started with bringing on Patrick Maroon, you know, Blake Coleman, Zach Bogosian, Barclay Goudreau. Those guys didn't come, come, some of them came fairly cheap, but some of them, they paid quite a price, whether it's draft picks or outbidding the competition. Kevin Shattenkirk, like you think they have enough guys, but they went and got more guys. Um, and just kind of a reminder that this is a war of attrition and you need more people. Um, you know, the fact that they were able to make it this far with an injured Stamkos, I think is a testament to those, to that depth, you know, yes, uh, of course, you know, Kucherov and point led the way and Hedman, but they're not on the ice all the time and they got key contributions up and down the, the lineup and the type of players that they added are kind of a, a little bit more gritty um, you know, and I, and I think it kind of shows you can't just your third and fourth lines can't be an afterthought. Your third defensive pairing can't be an afterthought. You have to, you have to pick the right people for those, those spots. And, uh, it may cost you, uh, that for me is, is kind of the, the takeaway. They were already a great team, already an exciting team, but they weren't satisfied with that. We need to, we need to adjust and kind of breeze kind of put the cherry on top of, of this wonderful cake that. That Stevie Eiserman built. <laughs> so, I mean, you mentioned the war of attrition. That's especially uh, true, it feels like, this year and through the first two games where it's been so physical. Have you been surprised by how physical it is? And do you think they can keep it up with back-to-back games on the horizon here? The, yeah, the back-to-back is really fascinating for me. And the fact that 
if Tampa wins tomorrow, you could have the St- a Stanley Cup clinching game be the second half of a back-to-back. I don't like it, personally. I, I get why they're doing it. Uh, they want a Saturday night game for, for TV. They don't want to go Sunday and, and go up against the NFL. Um, there's also the fact that the players want to get, get the heck out of that bubble as, as yeah. fast as possible. <laughs> but it is, it is kind of uh, a little bit odd to me. I, I would rather them take their time and have potential clinching games not be on back-to-backs just so that the, the product, the level of play is at its highest. Uh, but I, I do like how, mu- how much hits and how much nastiness is in this. And I wonder if part of that is the product of, of being stuck in this bubble. Like if we're going to be here for four rounds, we might as well like fight and claw and scratch and, and do everything we can to make it worth our while. Like it's, it, we talk about, um, you know, how, what a triumph, uh, overcoming this, this COVID cup will be for the winners. But think about the runner up. You go, you, you spent just as much time yeah. in these conditions as the winners and you have nothing to show for it. This might be the toughest Stanley Cup final to lose. Yeah. And yeah. I'm including Marion Hosa thinking back to <laughs> the devastating losses he had in the cup final. This might be the hardest cup final for anybody uh, to ever lose. Um, Luke, just want to bring it back to Dallas for one question and Anton Kudobin specifically. He's he's going to need a new contract. He's set up to be a UFA. And I think we can all agree before this run, he was highly regarded as one of, if not the best backups in the league was splitting time for the last two years with, with Ben Bishop. Um, and he's just been ridden through this whole run for them now. And it's probably going to be used on those back to backs. And that's likely why they didn't put him back out there for the third period in game three. Uh, has your opinion on him changed at all to the fact, to the degree that, you know, could he be more than a tandem or a backup guy now? Could he be a starter potentially somewhere next year, maybe even in Dallas? I not not for me. I, I I mean what he's done is is very impressive and he's he's a lovable guy. Like I love that image of him screaming, We are not going home. <laughs> I, I mean th- this guy's a character and and he's played out of his mind. For me, he needs to be part of a tandem. And I think we even in game three, we we saw a little bit of fatigue there. Uh, and, and also, I just think in general, we're going to see a lot of tandems. And we're going to need to see a lot of tandems in 2021 because it'll probably be a truncated schedule, uh, tons of back-to-backs. It's going to be... It's going to be a sprint. I mean, they're they're talking that they won't even start to maybe mid January, and that might be best case scenario. Uh, so I see him as a really good one one A one B type of guy, not not a pure starter. And I, and that's not a slight to him because I don't think there are thirty true number ones to go or thirty two eventually true number ones to go around. Uh, I just think with his age. He can't, he can't be that guy. He can be a really good uh, number two on a contender or, or a number one on a bad team, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's not a slight to anybody, right? Like no. Tuka Rask is basically a, a split starter guy now, and he's a Vesna candidate most of the time. And that's just the way uh, the league seems to be going. Uh, we'll get you out on this one, Luke. So series is two to one for Tampa. Like you said, you had picked Dallas at the start of yeah. the season, preseason to win the Stanley Cup. How do you predict the rest of the series is going to unfold? It definitely feels like it's going Tampa's way. Uh, 
you know, just the way they've played the last two games. But Dallas, you know, you, you look back at, at their previous series, they've been down before. They, they don't go out without a fight. So I, I do think they, they stretch it to at least six and maybe seven. I, I don't think we've seen the last of it. What I'm really curious about is how Dallas handles the goaltending for the back-to-back. I think Vasilevsky is, you know, they're just going to ride him to the wheels fall off. He, he seems fine. He's, he's still making saves. But I think Dallas, it'll be intriguing if, if Ben Bishop, you know, goes in. Last time it was an absolute disaster. Uh, and right now he's officially unfit to play. But you got to think, um, how would Hudoman uh, you know, fair playing two games in 48 hours? after all the hockey he's played right now, which is the most of his life. Um, so th- I think that's going to be kind of one of the the more interesting storylines. And the other one is, do we see Stammer again? Yeah. Yeah. Boy, how hard would it be to go away from Kudobin for the second half of that back-to-back if the cup's on the line? You're down three to one. Yeah. Like, wow. So maybe maybe you'd see, maybe you make the switch for, for Friday night. Because like you said, it, it would be really hard for for game uh, five. Yeah. All of them are must win basically. Yeah. It should be a harrowing 48 hours, Friday, Saturday, back to back game four and five. So enjoy gentlemen, Luke. Thanks so much for joining us and giving us your thoughts on uh, this very unique final. Yeah. It, we're finally here at the end of the longest <laughs> season oh, ever. <laughs> it's a marathon. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks buddy. Thank you, Luke. Take care, guys. See ya. Talk to you. All right. That is Sportsnet's Luke Fox giving us his insight on a Stanley Cup final now led 2-1 by Tampa Bay. We'll see if the Bolts can close it out uh, in in a fury here on Friday and Saturday. All right, Rory, coming up, we're going to talk about uh, some news and notes from around the NHL. It's not just what's happening in the bubble. Lots going on outside as well. And we want to touch on a few things, including the last Stanley Cup champion, the St. Louis Blues. Can they not find a way to make a deal with their pending uh, UFA of a captain and franchise icon, Alex Petrangelo? We will see. We'll talk about that after the break on Tape to Tape. Hey, welcome back to Tape to Tape. Don't forget to sign up for Sportsnet's Fantasy Hockey Playoff Pool presented by Ram. Just go to sportsnet.ca forward slash Ram for your chance to win up to 50 grand in cash prizes and the grand prize of 2020 Ram 1500 or Ram 2500. Sportsnet.ca forward slash Ram. All right, Rory, let's jump way ahead. Uh, Of course, with the commissioner talking at the Stanley Cup final, lots of questions about what's next in terms of the 2020-2021 season. That's a mouthful. A, I was going to say, um, yeah. <laughs> there, there's a, it's a mouthful and there is a lot to chew on there. We obviously don't know. We're going to continue to be in a world where we don't know a lot. If I just asked you what you hope happens, what would you lay out? What I hope happens, honestly, is that we return in January and we can have fans in the safely in in the arenas right i i don't know how realistic that's going to be and i don't think anybody knows at this point the next couple of months are going to determine that 
Um, realistically, I think, you know, if we can return sometime in January, um, and even if it's to empty arenas, maybe we, maybe fans can start slowly coming back and in month two or, or three. And I, you know, hopefully I, again, by the end of the season, by the playoffs, we're either full capacity or 50% or more. Um, again, it's, it's just really hard. It's impossible to, to, to even imagine um, what that situation is going to look like. You're starting to get some fans in certain NFL stadiums, but yeah. Those are outdoors, right? And and a lot and bigger too. Yeah, yeah. So so it's it's a little bit easier to get around that. Tougher for the NHL, but it's a gate league. So so much of the revenues is is dependent on on that. So it is important. Um, I, I just I, I don't want them to rush it. I don't think we're coming back December first as was uh, originally outlined. I think the most likely thing is you know you get training camps maybe in mid late December, maybe even not until. Uh, early January and then the season starts late January, maybe first thing in February and we go, I don't see how it's possible though, that you start that late, have a full 82 game season that the NHL still says is desirable and not have this go into the summer, which, which again, Bettman said at that avail, isn't something he wanted to keep doing. You don't want playoff hockey in August and September. Certainly you want to try and get back to a normal October to June or, Maybe this thing turns into a November to June um, permanent regular schedule as, as soon as you can. So ideally for me, the best case, you know, the best case we're back in January. We play a shortened season. The last time we started a season in January was 2013 after a lockout. That was a 48-game season in full playoff. I think we'll end up with a season a little bit longer than that. I think there are ways you could accomplish it, which is – you know, one is maybe they could set up the schedule to be more like baseball where you go in and play a series against a team. You know, Toronto goes to Vancouver and plays two or three games against the Canucks or however it's going to work out. And then Vancouver comes and does the same thing. Maybe that's not the best example, but you know what I mean? You're, you're playing series so you can get more games in that way. So maybe we can reach 60 games or something like that. And then you come back and you have a full four-round playoff. I, again, I don't see how it's possible to do all this and have an expanded playoff like we saw this year. I don't think that's in the cards. So if just we can get back to something in between 48 and 60 games, four rounds, best of seven playoffs, and we get fans in the building again, I think that's the best case scenario, and I think we're all hopeful for that. So it seems at the very least that Alex Petrangelo will go to the open market as a right-shot, fantastic defenseman who's already just had a, a wonderful career that doesn't mean he won't ultimately be back in st louis but what's your sense right now of where uh, those two sit because we do hear reports that they might not even really be that close on a number no it doesn't sound like they're close at all and it sounds like it's not even just one thing that they're not close on um you know the report is that the blues offered him an eight-year deal which is longer than anybody else is going to be able to offer him um with an eight million dollar aav which is, again, market value for this time especially. Who knows what anybody's going to get on the free agent market. Um, but the sticking points is, appear to be no trade clause, um, which would be ideal for him. Um, no signing bonus, which the Blues don't generally give out. They've acquired players that have had signing bonuses, but they don't generally sign guys to that. Which, again, you go on the open market and you get some of those big money teams coming at you. A team like Toronto certainly would be one that's chasing Petrangelo. They could 
and have done many times before, given huge signing bonuses out. So every July 1, Petrangelo could get a massive payday, and then the rest of the season he's getting paid you know, $700,000 or whatever, whatever the salary ends up being. Those are big sticking points that he could get absolutely somewhere else. It's just a matter of how important is that eighth year to him and how much does the price get driven up by having to go back to seven years and get seven years from somebody else. Um, so I think at this point I would be surprised if he didn't get to October 9th unsigned and is testing that free agent market. It's still a possibility he gets that far and ends up back in St. Louis, right? Like he's been comfortable there. He's a legend there, could have mm-hmm. a statue one day, led them to a Stanley Cup as captain and all that stuff. But it's a business and we're being reminded of it again here. So there are going to be a number of teams that are going to want to go at Petrangelo. You know, we can talk all we want about what is, what are Hall and Petrangelo going to get? What are any of these UFAs going to be able to get? How many of them are going to get short-term deals or be open to that with the cap being so flat and teams just having less wiggle room than ever. But I think it's probably likely that the bet, the biggest guys, the Petrangelos and Halls, that they probably still are going to get big money, $8 million or more from somebody, whether it's for one year, the full seven-year term, however it ends up going. Um, you're going to figure it out. If a team wants these guys, they'll move something else to, to make it work. I, I, it's just, it, it's going to be fantastic if he gets there because that's the theater we want, right? We want to see who's courting this guy and who's out there. there. There's a number of teams in the newsletter today I wrote, you know, Toronto is the obvious one. Vegas seems to be a team that is in on everybody and will just figure out a way to make it work. And the Calgary Flames are kind of sitting out there as a bit of an interesting one for me too because they actually have cap room. They have about $16 million in cap space. They've got a couple of RFAs to figure out and maybe some of their own UFAs, but they've got a bit of a defense to rebuild there. They've got four guys under contract, so it's not like they're devoid of anything, but I think the biggest reason that they might be interested in Petrangelo is that Mark Giordano has got two years left on his contract. He's going to be 37 years old in October. So, you know, time is running thin there. And if you can kind of bridge that by bringing in Petrangelo and know that you're going to have that number one defenseman for the foreseeable future, and it's not going to run out on you when, when Giordano retires, then you're probably in a pretty good space. And I think we are all expecting Calgary to do something big johnny gaudreau's name is the the lead item on on trade talks but i don't think it ends there i think uh they and their bold gm brad Living will be in the market for absolutely anything so i don't know if he quite qualifies as uh for franchise icon status but craig anderson has been told the sends won't bring him back you know, in this uh, world of goalies splitting time, I do think there's someone out there who probably thinks he can play 25 to 30 games on on the right team. But just want to take a minute to acknowledge what that guy's meant to that team in the past decade. I mean, ever since he arrived there in, in 2011-12, I mean, that team was on nobody's radar. And he, him and a young Eric Carlson just willed them into the playoffs. He was unbelievable. Of course, coming within a win of going to the final in 2017 he was fourth in Vesna voting one time I mean it's been almost 10 years there for Anderson and he's been everything the Sens could have ever hoped for I mean he stabilized everything for them you know they needed somebody to just kind of calm it down and I, I don't think it was obvious that he was going to be the guy long term um, to, to to fix that and, and yeah. he ended up being that he 
he was great in the community. Um, the community loved him and his wife, um, really came together, really tight knit. Um, it, it would be hard for him, I imagine, to leave and, and join some other team, but he, you know, he'll, he'll want a Stanley cup again too. Like yeah. he'll, he'll want to take that run and maybe there is a team out there. He'll definitely have to accept something less. Like you're looking at 25, 30 games, um, somewhere else. And, and maybe there is someone, but you know, at the same time, his, his play is kind of falling off a little bit. He's in his late thirties. He's near the end of his career. So the best days obviously of, of Craig Anderson are behind you, but you could do worse than a guy like that who is going to give you good stretches. I mean, if Mike Smith is is pulling in the, the duty that he was in Edmonton last year, I think there's going to be some market, however small it's going to be, for a guy like Craig Anderson because you know he'll bring that veteran veteran leadership. He'll give you good enough starts in what he needs to play, and if something happens to the other guy that you have, he'll be all right for you um, to to fill in while while an injury is being dealt with. So. Just a, a phenomenal career, though. Um, just found an absolute home there in Ottawa, and it's, it really is the end of an era for him as, as they move, try to move anyway, into the next stage of that rebuild. Well, buddy, the next time we talk, we will have a Stanley Cup winner. Do you think this thing gets pushed past the weekend, or is Tampa going to close it out? No, I don't. I'm going to stick to the original prediction of last week that this thing goes five games i think you know dallas won game one because tampa was gassed they were in there on short rest one day off and dallas had i think four um and that's exactly how tampa bay got the decisive game one win against the new york islanders in the eastern conference final and ever since then we've started to see dallas kind of be dominant right like they've taken it to dallas more often than not they've controlled the shots and they just seem to be maybe a bit more rested at this point. They've gotten here quicker and in fewer games than the Dallas Stars have. So um, if Dallas can't keep the scoring pace uh, as they were against those other teams that they maybe matched up better against, I just don't see a path. I think Tampa Bay has taken this thing over and there's no looking back. All right. Well, we will see how it shakes out. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks to our producers, Mike Tassoni and Michael Mares. Thanks as always to my co-host Rory Borland and of course to Sportsnet's Luke Fox check back real soon for more glass rattling hockey action on tape to tape